Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm M. I'm Glenroy. I'm Kareem. And I'm Lanvel. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. The gang's all here. Come through, bro. Long time. I went last time. (laughs) We welcome back the veteran, Kareem. Hey, people, people, hello. Oh, God. (laughs) I feel like a long time when I do this. (laughs) But you never never drop my catch. You never drop my catch. You're glad. Okay, okay. Yeah, more them. Are you me, bro? Wait, what's that? Are you guys? How you been? Oh, girl, you know. <laughs> it's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but you know, a girl is pushing through and becoming like an absolute dissertation. She. <laughs> and because I know the listeners are interested, we are we have finally wrapped up um data collection, and now we are editing the last two chapters or writing the last two chapters so that we can defend by the end of March and graduate by May. So we can do and we can come a doctor bitch or whatever I know. How was your trip in Jamaica? Oh my God, it was so good. I feel like every time I go back home, I fall in love with the country a little bit more, which is so surprising because Honestly, me, I wanted them gay there when they come a foreign and find a little freedom here. And well, they talk about, oh, I'm done with Jamaica. Yes, I mean, I set up my life and blah, blah, blah. But this last trip had me thinking about like buying a property there and so on and so forth. So I was like, all right, it's all right. Okay, okay. I like what I'm seeing. So I signed up for a few like waiting lists for a couple of the um, housing projects that they, <laughs> I guess me, um, for a couple of the housing projects that they have. Um, coming up especially in like St. Catherine and so on so we'll we'll see come through that's right and champion girl walking <laughs> my girl you a champion but the part but the come down for the cloud nine for us Yes, yes, yes. I, you know, I'm always up, I'm always up. I post from what they said, be ready, ask for your one about be ready. I'm a QT girl, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So if any of the girls follow me on Twitter or whatever on the room will say. Um yesterday I presented a pitch for a solution to um environmental data collection issues that we have in Jamaica and my team won. So we get local money and surface start implementing solutions so more to Great. come um the school she's still a one um final semester of classes praise jesus or whomever god is or whatever and i'm looking forward i'm preparing for candidacy exams in may as well so this like this first couple of months of this year the first half of this year are gonna be like Super, super tight, but let me tell you, I'm going to make everything work because 
a bitch has to be successful and has to keep winning. So, yeah. That was bad. That was bad. We said keep winning after. I ask him after the podcast. You know, some problems I remember you was working on. I mean, you're not hear nothing about them. But I'm going to bring them up. But don't worry, I'm going to put the pump blast there. Any update for the world? No, Glenn, not yet. And <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Um, Are the facts of no allowed in this? Yeah, no, right? Elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Oh, now that we're not really in a lockdown and just an argument, then I'm, I'm back to my brunching ways. So after this um, podcast, I'm going to a brunch, going to hang out with Eleanor. Um, yeah, that's what's been up for now. Oh, okay, okay. Hold on, lockdown done. Basically, <laughs> no, 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 sorry, let me take my bitch up on the podcast. I'm just tired out. Then, <laughs> then, <laughs> then <laughs> the streets know. Hello, Tommy here. So, I look on the party. Keep last night in that one. I never go uptown, uptown area there, and the girls did just. 12 o'clock and it was in full swing. I don't know. I don't know. But I heard because I was at home. Right? <laughs> I don't mind. Confirmed me. Today, this morning, after 5 a.m., in, so informed me. Right? <laughs> I'm not implicate myself in After 5 a.m. Oh, my God. We're going to go and look about the party. I'm going to Jesus. I don't know if I came out of the theater. Okay, look up. I'm partying illegal. Hear you. No, it was it was winning then. It was within the something. Oh, yeah, Jesus. we didn't carry him. It cannot be. Jesus. I, I, do, I, I dream a dream. It was within the something. I dream a dream. Because it was within it was within the occupancy level that it cut off before the curfew. Right. <laughs> yes. Everybody has social. At 10 girls. And you are 10, 10 other girls. <laughs> it was just me and 10 of my closest friends. <laughs> That's a 11. That's a 11 for <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. I'm still Africa. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> oh, gosh. But you, all right, done. I joke, yeah? <laughs> so, what about you, Miss Thing, Miss Fishy Librarian? Oh, you know, you know, I'm claiming my Evil Queen status for this year. You know, doing the good work. All right, but you know, my life section of my life also. But uh, work is going well enough. Um, for people who may not aware, trying to get a permanent space for the organization. So that's been progressing relatively well. So, you know, it's moving and it looked like it's going the way I want it to go and, and that we're going to get the timeline, get the place in the timeline that we'll get it in. So, you know, fingers crossed. If you see me, I packed my box and I left me out of J-Flag a little bit day. Outside for the catchings, right? So yeah, they got that. Um, really? Oh yeah, but you tell me before the podcast, but finally I learned to toot toot beep beep. So we can't stop. I feel I deal with Robert and then Kelly. I'll be up Robert anyway in there. I feel I deal with Robert and then Kelly says anytime one I'm gonna wear or any other driver. Okay, no, so I can't bother you know these last days. So my daughter's daughter is teaching me how to drive. So she go after this podcast while Landville is brunching. I'll be in an undisclosed location 
learning how to not oversteer because that was the feedback we get last time. So I'm going to up there. Uh, oh, that's a go. I am also just, oh, so tomorrow actually, I because I'm tutoring a new course at the faculty. Usually I tutor constantly this semester, but this time I'm tutoring um, Commonwealth Caribbean Human Rights Law, which I've always wanted to tutor. Um, so, so I'm getting reacquainted with those, you know, issues, the, that area. I mean, I, I, human rights law is the focus of my work, really. But, you know, things might have did happen and new cases might have did come out since we did last, you know, that kind of academic view of things. So I'm very excited for it. I'm very excited because before we did even confirm, so I'm going to teach the course. Some of my students from my concert class did reach out to me and say, let me know if you have to teach a course, because I'm get me in, and because of you, right? I'm gonna get a couple emails to sir, I'm not in a class, so I'm like, yeah. My name is Nice Road. I forget how to nice, right? And I've been a very praying girl this year. I will tell y'all off, off the air, but some of them already know what praying means, but I've been praying. So, amen to that. <laughs> P-R-A-Y, not P-R-U-I, right? <laughs> so, we'll talk about the prayers. But yeah, it, it, things are going pretty well. Things are going pretty well. It wasn't that bad start of the year, and, you know, we moved. I almost just myself like a bit last week at work, but we, we'll catch back on right about I'm having local food. I wait for me, and I see for when we go out for the drive, but... But feel good right now. I mean, I watch Castlevania. Castlevania go out with itself. We can't believe me now. Never tell me so Castlevania did nice for Netflix. The nice copy of show. And only need to watch it if you don't watch it already. Because Alucard go out with itself, right? The nice look. And then in the, and then the final scene by sexual so would have a chance if Alucard did read, right? And so, yeah. I'm in, in my song sexual, but you know, straight. I mean, look, one of the male, the male twin did have the six twins. So I said, yeah, my friend, I lived, I lived for that scene. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah. But it's so vexed when them betray me in our comedy thing, please, because I'm going to develop it. Yeah, yeah. But at least wait till it comes. Not even know, right? that. Not even that. Them just carry up. Them just in the big light. Do the something, do the something. Did very vexed. Come in, so I couldn't finish off the cook. But anyways, we move. What are we talking about today, and darling? Right. So, listeners, we're talking today. We're talking about the issue of appropriation and appreciation. So, a lot of conversation has been going on um, in a number of different spaces about you know how we welcome people into the first spaces and then start those things that we may believe believe are you know innately queer or belongs to the queer community. And we just want to have a discussion about how we feel about that, you know, whether or not the cisheads are allowed to do the things we do, um, in what ways are they allowed to do it, and are the reactions valid? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. I know mean, I mean, certain people from the podcast have only participated. Yes, Carol. <laughs> Can you not say look how good show me and I if the bus did a move? If the bus did a move. <laughs> but that's bad. Um, 
but I name called friend. Waiting, buddy. Waiting, like. Uh, yeah, and before you answer, I, I mean, I think we can look at it from different angles because they're different things, whether it's clothes, whether it's lingo, or whether it's different art forms. So, whichever one you want to take up and start with, we can go there and get into it. No, I think we can talk about all of it. Um, it's always an interesting conversation because it's something that I can admittedly say that I struggle with sometimes with understanding kind of what is appropriation versus what is appreciation? Where do we draw the line with all of it? Um, especially as it relates to like lingo, for example, um, because I'm not always so keen on like the origin of some of the phrases, um, especially those that are not explicitly tied to like the ballroom scene. I'm using like queer culture specifically like and black queer culture to the ballroom scene like, I don't always know that when somebody else is saying it, it's like, oh, where did that come from? Or when the argument comes up about like black queer men imitating black women or just queer men in general imitating black women or, um, you know, barring some of their mannerisms and so on. Like, it's always been a blur to me. So I was looking forward to this conversation because I was hoping to get some kind of like clarity or to hear some different perspectives on how we we define or determine rather what is appropriation versus appreciation. And I mean, I'm aware of the argument too about like economic gain and not attributing some of like the, you know, some of the the ownership to the culture or the social group that we take the things from. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that I've always really thought about. Okay. All right. So before we, so anybody want to Google it? Because I have one example that I have something that I do think is appropriation from our community that I've, that has never sat well with me. That me, me will talk about and say there to me sometimes there is a line, but more way as Karim to create we look at definitional boundaries. If a girl can Google real quick, just like how we did Google the time, I would really appropriation. Yeah, we can Google like how we did Google our self care. I would learn to some girl in a right? <laughs> You know me, I always win him. The fact check off the group. So according to the Oxford English Dictionary, <laughs> cultural appropriation is defined as the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the practices, customs, or aesthetic of one social or ethnic group by members of another typically dominant community or society. That's how they've defined appropriation. Okay. Okay. So right. So, and that definition does not require any type of economic gain. Right. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't state that. Okay. That's, a, hmm, that's very interesting because then I... There's another definition that definitely adds that part though. Okay. That says, um, it says, when element of culture is adopted from a marginalized group without respect for its cultural meaning or significance or with the purpose of exploiting the culture for economic or social gain. Okay, all right, that last one will feel a little bit more comfortable with because the right. first one is very broad, but that almost suggests like the women fear eat curry. Um, there's, I feel like I missed a piece of the first one, but there's one I'm looking at here with this um, appropriation and selecting, um, selecting, a, selecting of certain aspects of a culture and ignoring their original significance. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. All right. So maybe I give the example that I have. Um, and then maybe others can jump in line, they can jump in and say how they feel. So I've always felt, I mean, prior to the explosion of drag race, 
I've always felt that lip sync battle was a bit appropriative. And I say that to say, prior to Jarrett's big explosion and everybody, you know, the big celebrities coming on Drag Race, you know, everybody did not say, Drag queens being in at the crowd, them, I lip sync out them heart, you know, I entertain people. Lip syncing, though, is not, though is not necessarily an art form that is unique to the queer community, in many ways has been popularized, right? And, 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 and I think is heavily identifiable with the queer community. And I personally felt like, the, the kind of way in which Lip Sync Battle was able to access mainstream and, and have a lot of cisset men do different types of lip sync and be celebrated for it. Um, like when Channing Tatum did the whole thing with, you know, the Beyonce performance and be celebrated for it. Um, but when we look at the fact that at that, at that time, Drag Race and Drag, and in many ways it still is, is on the fringes, it, 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 it rubbed me the wrong way because I feel like, well, no, there are people who, like a Coco Manchester, Alyssa Edwards, who way more talented at this thing, but would never get that kind of access or that kind of opportunity to showcase that level of talent and that level of work. So for me, a big part of the cultural appropriation is not, is not so much the individual that decides to partake in the culture, it's the institutions and the gatekeepers of those institutions that would say no to the originators of an art form, for example, and not allow them the space to bring their art form forward. But when someone else does it, um, somebody from that kind of, as I said, from that dominant social group does it, they are celebrated for it. So for example, like when, the Kardashians do the box braids or they do certain things with the big lips and they're celebrated for it and they become standards of beauty. But black women get called ugly and unprofessional for their protective hairstyles. Those are some problematic things. So when white women get to like dabble into black culture, um, you know, it's cute, you know, it's, 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 it's them being creative, but when black women do it, they're sanctioned for it. And I think that's a useful way of looking at the problems of cultural appropriation. It's how have institutions punished one group of people for doing something that the dominant group is celebrated for and allowed to do, or at least allowed to do without those kinds of sanctions. And that's when it's a problem. But for me, the issue, I don't, I don't draw that for me, the issue is more so with the institutions and how we respond to institutions rather than simply saying, to somebody who, in using a certain style, might even be coming from a good place that they don't get to participate in it. Because for me, I don't necessarily believe in insular culture. I feel like historically, cultures have always exchanged values and created new cultures out of it. And so if I, I think about us as Jamaicans and us as Caribbean people, I think we're inherently uh, a creolized society. We're a mix of different cultures, some forcibly brought here, others willfully coming here, mixing and sharing um, foods and aspects of our culture and language and creating something beautiful out of that. And I think in the right context, 
cultural exchange can lead to something new and beautiful. And so I don't, I, I don't believe in using the term cultural appropriation in a way to suggest that people don't get to have cultural exchange. I do, however, see the problem with dominant cultures take uh, and get celebrated for without acknowledging where they're taken from and working to undo the systems that punish the originators of a cultural practice um, for doing that exact same thing. So I hope that wasn't too convoluted, but th that's my defense of cultural, of arguments against cultural appropriation. You're muted, David. One, one thing is for sure is that the girls who are listening to the podcast know who we did refer to when we said somebody did have things to say. As Glenn spoke about drag, I think initially when it was announced that um, there would be a, 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 a heterosexual man on drag, initially I was like, Mm, uh, no, hell to the no. But I think after, and I had I had reservations um to to him being on um drag, but I think after watching his um episode and hear him talk about how he got into drag and to see that, as I said, if and if we say that drag is an is an um art form, then it. I don't think then it can be something only claimed by um, queer persons and that others, um, because there's good intent behind it, um, allow others to participate in that um, art form and to kind of express themselves in that, if we, if we consider it more than what it was before um, and that it has evolved. Um, for me, it, it, it was good to hear him um, talk about um, how he came into drag um, and just 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 give just detailed his life how, how drag has kind of opened up um, his perspective to, to to different things around um, queer culture and things like that I think on the face of it um, because we, we know um, the show to only have um, queer men and and since recently we've had um, trans men and trans uh, we have had, had a, a trans woman winning um, we kind of box it off to be like oh no this is a queer space and heterosexual persons should not um, enter the space but I think my what I what I oh, moving beyond drag I think Pride has always, and Pride celebration um, has always been a thing that I question in terms of um, organizations or um, corporations that, you know, they do, um, when it's Pride, they do the bling um, and do the, the money from these celebrations. Are they, in a sense, do they support um, LGBT organizations because you're, benef you're benefiting from, you're making clothes, you're making shoes, you're making laces, you're making flags, you're making all those kind of things. Um, saying that you're supporting um, Pride, saying that you're supporting LGBT, claiming to be LGBT friendly organization. But at the end of it, when we when we look at the profits and where the profits go, do it go do it go back to to um the the company or do you in any sense support a queer organization? Um, whether in your own country or is there any kind of donation and that is something that has always kind of don't know how to describe it 
um, but you're benefiting from marginalized, um, a marginalized group. I, there's no support um, for, for, for most of those mar marginalized um, groups. That's, that's textbook. That's textbook um, appropriation, right? So, so. <laughs> like, Which is why. Sorry to jump in, M, but it's why I when I was when I did Pride in London, I it never it was cute for what it was, and I will always say that it was cute for what it was. But it, it never it never hit. It didn't hit like how Black Pride did, and that was one of the reasons. It felt like. So all of these big companies, they buy these spaces in and them, them advertise themselves and they're a part of this big, officially mainstream celebration now. But it's almost like, like, what are you doing? And I remember Marks and Spencer had come out with like a pride sandwich. But pride, I was a girl. And for me, it's not just, even if you give, it's for me, it's two things. It's one, are you giving back to communities generally, whether it is, uh, a specific organization or movements or just, you know, supporting individuals in particular ways, you know, like decentralized movements, how are you doing that? But it's also, how are you treating your queer staff? Because let's be real, a lot of these major companies will do the whole shebang for pride, but in terms of the kinds of representation in their organizations, the ability of um, queer people to past that glass ceiling, and trust me, in, in these corporate spaces, there is that glass ceiling for queer people, particularly those that are more, that don't, that don't quote unquote pass, that can't, that don't sit in the boardroom and happen to be gay, but as I'm stepping, so the one that will look like me and Kareem and M especially. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah, we, there is that glass ceiling that we face, so we're going to corporate because those boardrooms are for normative looking people um and you know the, and I and I remember for example back when I was just you know a little baby advocate coming up I read this article by Maitu Gulati that talked about the fifth black woman um and it was about kind of intersectional discrimination and what a queer black woman experienced um because in that particular case I can't remember the name of the case right now because um she was the kind of black woman that was queer and that looked queer, that was visibly queer in particular ways. So her opportunities to advance in the organization were impacted by the kind of stereotypes of not of what women were supposed to be like and what women were supposed to look like. And I think we have to ask ourselves these questions about these companies. Um, are um, queer people given equal opportunities internally, or are they just making this big splash and display, rightfully, as you say, Landville, so that um, they can get the queer, that pink dollar, right? That them do their market research and realize it's a thing. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I literally do not speak for the, the specific, um, a few artists, particularly from Jamaica who post that one picture every every year on Instagram or two pictures every year on Instagram during Pride. Um, because I had a I had a um, an experience with one of them in particular, I won't call names. Um, I was at a hotel and she was there with her entourage. And of course, Hotel Pandinard Coast, visibly queer, we don't care. But sis made a snide comment and she and her people in the lap when we walk past. Right. And 
just to see her posting, um, she's done out in our, our Pride Colors um, during Pride Month. I was like, yeah, man, I see feel you literally just want the queer people them be a fan so you can get a, a larger fan base. And we're eating it up like, you know, a nice hot Sunday meal. But that's one of the reasons why I really don't see it for them because they're not genuine and sometimes I can't tell. But like when it comes to appropriation, there, there are two things about it that um sort of pique my interest. Like there's one how we think about it, and then there is there's sort of how we present we present um the impacts of it because I've been I've been in classes here with people um who are literally afraid to ask certain questions about certain topics because they might come off as um, insensitive or sound like they're appropriating from a particular culture that they're inquiring about. And sometimes I feel like, especially with Maddie um, on Drag Race, that was like a prime example of the gatekeeping that I think um, don't serve the community very well. I mean, I have, have opinions about her in drag. <laughs> But that's, that's a separate conversation altogether. But like, just being in the space, um, and even she was talking about what brought her into drag, into drag and the sort of experiences she's had and she's had and how that has helped her um, to, you know, grow and whatever and learn about the queer community. Like you could see queens in the workroom, like just like side and like, bitch, we are talking about like, I live this every day. Like drag is literally who I escape from my life of oppression and you're just here oh a straight man getting into drag because oh it was cute and you want challenge like it's not the same thing right and sometimes I wonder if like maintaining those boundaries um help us to move past other cultures or other um, institutions appropriating by preventing them from actually learning the significance of our culture um more than it actually helps us to protect what we think we're trying to protect. But but did he, but did he present it though, M, as if there was no appreciation for drag and where drag is coming from? And did he present it as, oh, you know, I saw this, it was cute. Let me, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me dress up too. Yeah, like um to be to be honest, like how he got into drag is still kind of blurry um, based on what he said, but I don't think he said anything that raised a red flag for me in terms of his um, appreciation for the art form and what it means to the community. Um, I, think he's, I, think, yeah, I think he's coming from a genuinely good space um, as, a drag, as a drag performer, but maybe in time. Yeah, because that was my that was my buy-in. As I said initially, I had a hard problem, but that was my buy-in. If you don't have an appreciation for there was no appreciation for the culture that you are partaking in or are trying to be a part of. But 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 all right, here's my issue now. Come I appreciate what we are saying. And I definitely think say if you're an outsider coming into a cultural um form that you kind of do have a responsibility to kind of understand the context in which you're coming in and show that kind of level of respect how yet i'm still i do wonder if we apply that kind of lens to other performers so in other words 
do we analyze the extent to which a lot of uh, queer people come into drag in that same, in a very, with an extractive mindset? In other words, how many drag perform, does every queer drag performer step into the space thinking that, oh, I really appreciate, you know, where this is coming from, the value of the subversive nature of drag and how it pushed the movement forward and what the greats before me did. And that, no, all of them do that. No, we, we don't. We don't because you think it belongs, the, the, the impression is that it belongs to you. So, um, but I feel like that's a problem. Separate and apart from how straight people get it into. And I, and I will even go as far to say they don't get to come in in the same way that we do. How yet and still, I think we can't be okay with the internal forms of extraction. Mm-hmm. Even if it would be worse if it's external, I think we really still should apply some measure, not the exact measure, the extent that we apply to any outsider that comes in and use our cultural forms, but any insider, I think there's a duty. So for example, I have a thing, any man I date and I take seriously, he have to sit down with me and watch certain things. He have to watch Paris is burning, he have to understand context. It's a rule my have, right? He okay, have come jump up into my cutter, like Jesus, and, <laughs> and, don't, and don't understand your history, you know, and I teach my kids. The history, we, if, if, if somebody new comes into the family, all over the city of us go watch certain things, we have to understand context, we have to understand the worlds that came before us. And so, in as much as I appreciate the thought, I think we also, because I feel like my, 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 my perennial challenge sometimes with the way in which this community operates is that, yeah, we're right for always call out people that go do certain things to it. But I don't to ourselves in the way that we should. And I don't know that we look inward as much as we should. And I absolutely think that there have been examples of people who just say, hey, this look nice. This look fun. They can, and, and, and they do it. And for them, it's not an escape. It's not their ability to um, live out um, specific realities. They may come from a privileged background and a new or a new career point for some people. In the community, it's just a career. And so for me, we kind of have to also be mindful of how much we're requiring of the cisset person that is above and beyond, and it should be above and beyond. I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but to what extent should it be above and beyond? Is it so much that we don't require it of our own community? Because I think we should to a smaller degree. So if I even 20%, we should require 20% while we are requiring 80% from the straight people. And I don't always feel like I have the conversation at a level where we require the 20% of our community, even as within our own communities, we have issues like transphobia from gay men. We have issues like, uh, because there was that raging debate, if we're talking about drag race, no, about whether or not trans people get to be drag queens, whether or not trans people get to perform in drag. That, that debate has been raging on for years, mm-hmm. right? And we can always talk about power structures and power dynamics even in the ballroom scene and, and, and different things like that and, 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 and how that works and the, the kind of respect that, like, we feel like we can do that kind of internal lens there too, even as we're ready to take out with microscopes and look at 
um, who is coming in. Yeah, gatekeep to our exit coming up. But sometimes, as I rightfully say, I do believe sometimes the gatekeeping is unhelpful because I think cultural exchange has value when done right. But I think so we must, while we have to cut the, the, the magnifying glass, we must find the mirror. Every now and then I say, girl, this no look right. Let's talk. And I don't think we do that work as much as we should when we do the let's talk. We're always ready to come out guns blazing and say, you don't belong in our space. I'm going to understand why. I appreciate the feeling, especially since them have all these other spaces that they can be in. But how are we even operating in our own spaces is a valid conversation that we also must have, especially when we're putting out all of this energy and all of this effort managing who comes into our spaces. So I just feel like at some point that becomes, even if it's a completely separate conversation, I think we need to recognize the value of having those same kinds of conversations about the ways in which queer people ourselves enter into drag and enter into drag while maintaining transphobic ideas and values. Because let's be real, there are drag queens that with very problematic views about trans people. And I, I, and I think RuPaul's drag race over the years and the notion of whether or not trans people get to perform exposed a lot of people with very problematic views about whether or not trans contestants get to perform. And, and, and that was a debate for years and years and years. So. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that because I was definitely thinking that as Lanville um, was speaking and you had posed a question about, you know, are we, you know, ex examining drag performers in the same way that we readily? Because I was reading a definition about appreciation, and it says appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross culturally. And there's a certain level of intentionality behind that um, definition that I can appreciate. But then I was thinking about all the other times that I wore things that weren't necessarily a, a derivative of my own specific culture or upbringing or anything that I was aware of. And I was just like, I don't think I ever stopped to like, like oh. So for brings I'm thinking about this time when I was younger and I got like a feathered headdress um, situation. And I did love that. So to like every time, like every time the feather drop out, I saw my freaking glue it back in. And even like adults would I try to like buy that other thing that I knew it was from. I think I came across like some Indian, um, some native uh, American website that sold them and I was getting ready to purchase one and I didn't purchase it for some reason. But then I was thinking like, okay, I never really stopped to think about what the significance of those feathers meant for, or if they even held any significance for that culture that like I was about to purchase this thing from. And so it's interesting that you talk about that kind of like, um, you know, that self-evaluation and thinking about um, whether or not the, the things that we adopt and the things that we do, uh, if we truly understand like the significance of them. I don't think we do that for performers a lot either because we see them come out in these looks and we're just like, yes, queen. Uh, we love that. Like I love when, um, oh my God, who was the previous winner of Drag Race? Simone? I think Simone. Like I love what she does with, I mean, and she's black, she's a black queen, but I love what she does, you know, with the do-rags and how she just loves to incorporate black culture um, or just like her upbringing into like her drag um, art form. And there's a certain intentionality behind that, that I don't think, you know, we're always, we always stop to, to take credit for it. Even, and I think one of the things that I've used in the past, honestly, was technically the 
saying that, well, we're technically minorities, so it doesn't matter. Or like, I, I essentially have a pass to these things because, you know, I belong to some type of like minoritized group or um, something of the sort. So that's even another thing that that is that we should perhaps talk about. Uh, but where does the where does the the education start and and like in in what form? So for example, like um, I, I've said before that I was very interested in the episode with with um, Larry Chang and just in general talking to older queer folks, can you get to have a better appreciation for the work that they did and a lot of things that you possibly would understand. So for other queer folks who possibly just trying to figure out different aspects of them life, trying to make it day by day by day by day, where do, who is in charge of the education or how do we go about starting the conversation? How do we get them interested in the conversation? Is it their own learning? Um, or is it upon them to kind of, you know, well, learn things? Well, I've never believed. I mean, I, I've never been the go and find it for yourself kind of girl. I mean, I think, I think telling people to go and do your own research is dangerous because a little knowledge is very dangerous. Um, and that's not to say I want to control what people know. I think, I think the duty will always be, unfortunately, on the, the quote-unquote elders and leaders in communities to pass on that information and pass on that knowledge. It's something that we all can do in our different spheres. But me personally love ask questions, right? Me not, right? I like hear about context. I like hear why things set up the way they're set up. Because I, I just like to know, because it, it allows me to move. But I share that information readily. Sometimes somebody asks me a one question. I'm easily could just say yes or no, and this is what we're doing. But I, I like to sit and walk people through histories so that there's buying and there's understanding and depth in, in, in whatever yes or no that I say to them or maybe. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a responsibility of mine to pass on that knowledge because somebody got, I got it from someone and never have to give it to someone. And I also recognize that, that for whatever, for all sorts of reasons, some people just might not have the time to do all of this knowledge searching that I do, right? Some people just genuinely might be trying to survive. Just as read, as read from this life, they might be trying to live um, and deal with what it is to be queer in a Jamaican context or in any other context where um, you're not fully accepted. So you are, you know, yeah, navigate life. Say that time, right? Maybe, maybe you know, the space where you can't sit around and watch drag race. Maybe you can't go, they research Paris is burning and the ballroom and the cat, 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 Maybe you don't have the space to do that. So for those of us who have that space, I think it's, partially our responsibility to curate that information and make it readily accessible. It's partially answer our responsibility to say, we pull a girl once and I say, girl, this is why this is the way it is, right? Um, and it's, it's it's difficult work, but I feel like we're looking at a lot of communities of people have been doing that kind of work for years, you know, kind of passing down through oral history and other forms of, record, of, of recorded history to, to, to people to, so that they have that kind of shared knowledge so that there is that level of intentionality, right? But I guess it has to be on somebody to recognize that I'm a part of something bigger than myself and I, it didn't start with me. And so I have to make sure that the stories before me 
our tools. So every now and then, like, like I have some box right over the food, some old date like files. Sometimes I just go through. Sometimes I just read and understand and get context so that we can think and theorize for why things did go the way they go and why things did set the way they set because it also guides how you know you think about what needs to happen next and, and, and not making certain mistakes over again. But I think it's for those of us who have the privilege, the opportunity, the space and the access to gather the information as best as we can um, and pass it on. Um, and, or, or, and make it accessible. So even if they go, go through one whole song, I'll speak to still like I said, girl, to one document here, I see one of the I read it, I what you think. Because um, that intentionality is important. Like, like that approach, I think is so critical because even in my own personal experience, um, I was never that. I was I I was never that person to get up and just do research on random things or maybe random is the wrong word, but on the history of things. Like when Pose came out, I thought Pose was a cute a cute um series. I enjoyed watching Pose. I did everything with Pose that go with. I never knew what Paris, I never, I never knew what Paris was burning. It was when, I, I don't know if you remember Glenroy, would I watch it? And then you say, oh, but you didn't watch Paris? But I was like, what is that? I was like, no, girl, I have to watch it. <laughs> I know, like, every queer person with me, I'm like, did you watch Paris is burning? Like, yeah. So, like, sometimes I feel like we really can't depend on people if they get up and be interested enough to go do that kind of research because it's a whole heap of history. It's a whole heap of history to understand. Um, Marsha P. Johnson is still a learn about she, and it's because I now have a vested interest in what um, occurred prior to um, queer life being what queer life is now. Um, and also because I'm more an academic person. But like, when you come on to this whole idea of intentionality, like how we judge that, like, how do we, what do we look for to identify when a person needs that extra push to, to learn and understand something about what it is they have an interest in? Because it's something that like Karim, the, the feathers, they like feathers, and the feathers depend on something they think it's going to work for you. What well, prompt you for, <laughs> for somebody comes to you, know, say, this is an American Indian, um, Native American culture, and you, it represents this and all of them because something. Like, what do we look for? That's a very tough question. I mean, and I think really that is the question, which is why my first step is never to say, uh, to never to just castigate a person for seemingly appropriated behaviors. Because you're right, I feel like, and which is why I say to persons, your intentionality matters more than your action. You can accident. And I, and I guess I always say that because I come from that kind of law background where there has to be a confluence of actors, race, and men's area, the mindset and the action of a coincide, they begin to something. People make accidents and people make mistakes, right? And I, I guess some of us just have a spirit, we don't know, we don't know what to say, right? We just have a spirit. I would say, I would say, girl. Three out of my like that. And, and, and sometimes it's just like an accidental reference. Like, I'm pretty sure when they had that conversation about Paris is burning, maybe I saw something and I, and I saw the callback and I saw the reference. You know, I love my references. I love when movies give me a good reference chart, right? Because I just react, because I wonder, 
like like when I talk about Castlevania, I may say Vlad the Macalim, Vlad Dracula, Tepesh. I may say what 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 Tepesh mean? Why right? name Tepesh? I'm a Google it. I'm a find out. Say it's because Tepesh means impaler, and everybody know that Dracula was based on Vlad the Impaler from Wallachia. So may say oh. And I and, and I feel like because that's just my thing, I readily just give of it, right? And I point to talk to people and I ask people these questions, especially the people in my immediate circle, so that they know um, where things are coming from. And I think also doing it in such a way that I'm not calling them stupid, that I'm not calling them, and I'm not shaming them for not knowing because there was a time that yeah. I I think that's just what yeah. has to be. We have to recognize our duties to be a repository of whatever knowledge that we have, acknowledging the limited context in which we know that knowledge and share it to people. And then, and it gets to my point of saying, if we as square people have to do all of this work because our histories aren't written down, our histories aren't standardized, our histories aren't taught, we have to go out and find it. And we have to find an elder who was there, like a Lara Chang, that's why I'm a love. I, I love the Legends Ball series because they give us this context, right? Uh, we have to make that effort to kind of create that space that, of that knowledge sharing. Uh, if we have to do all that work and we in other community and can at least know who Larry Chang is from the get-go, who I never know before as that work at JFLAG, right? And then do all of that preparatory work. Can we really expect somebody outside of our community to know all of that, knowing how inaccessible our, 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 our knowledge is. Mm -hmm. That's why I always have to go, um, go at the girl them children and come with them fuck shit because <laughs> like, you, 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 are a you have a natural inclination to history. So you have to look up, you have to research and you find out what was what. You know people in the community, you know, you catch looking something here and there. One random straight person where just make, have one straight friend one day, and I try do what them think them supposed to do, and you gotta attack them because what? I just feel like the, the whole what what the word elitism. We have we have this very elitist complex within um the queer community where we just need to get over because it's not um, it serve. When we reach, when we reach, we yeah. think we reach. I will get we start turn up on those for other people. That's why I can appreciate Glenroy's point about just kind of like even for those for those who they said those who know teach, um, even in our teaching and sharing of knowledge, like there's just a, a such a, a loving way that we could do it that it doesn't have to the person doesn't have to feel because I feel like that's part of the thing too, right? When people feel like they're being attacked, and I guess I guess that's not my work to do. When people feel like they're being attacked, they tend to shut down and even go like deeper down into the ignorance or whatever it is that you are trying to like save them from. So I've definitely been in spaces where I've like, um, like my my um, heterosexual friends might say something. I'd be like, Ooh, "Come here, baby. You can't say that. You can't say that. I know. I know we're cool, but if it had been somebody else, it might not have gone like that. Or I'll be like, you know, you can't say that because da 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 da. Um, or especially when um, people don't understand why some um, queer men don't always like when you greet them with the ass queen. I'm like, yeah, because that doesn't mean, one, you might be making them feel uncomfortable because you're putting them on the, like an on blast where 
they might not they try they might want to just fade into the background and here you are yes queen you look good da, 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 da. a simple like hey you look fine would have would have sufficed like you don't need to do all that extra so i mean i've been in spaces where it's difficult like it felt like it could have been a difficult conversation but a simple like a little love tap like come mm-hmm. here boo and i enjoy being that space for people and i say it all the time like i had a friend who was struggling to connect with her um trans identified um child and she called me she's like i just i just need to somebody who's just like not gonna make me feel stupid and she just wanted to talk and ask a question that made her feel ignorant made her feel stupid without the judgment and i was just like okay well instead of doing that you could do this I'm not saying that everybody needs to take on that fight, but when you can, you know, right. do it. And to jump in, you know, you said that. And so we had a training the other day with some social support service providers. And <laughs> the funniest thing happened. I mean, we've heard this, this stereotype before about our community saying, we can't go see and we're going to all of that. But what was interesting, I wasn't there. I wasn't at the training, but Suel was. And Suel kind of told me what was said. And the lady actually asked, so I hear that after the gay men have sex, they can't go to sea because whatever will happen. Or they can't go to the beach. You know what the woman asked? The woman asked, what happens in the process <laughs> to prevent that from happening? <laughs> and I was just like, I have never heard that question asked that way, right? Because this is somebody that is thinking critically, that is in her own way, trying to debunk a myth and has a gap in knowledge. I know she has queer people in front of uh, queer people in front of her is saying, help me understand how oh, this makes sense. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like it's it's I will always tell people it is going to be draining and difficult. And I completely get people who opt out of the teaching. Because teaching. I, I believe it's a calling. I believe it's something African don't know. I African know who you can teach and when you can teach, and we have the energy to teach. And when you can say, girl, one next time you talk, I mean, in the mood to go through everything we're going to go through, you get the knowledge from the girls for one next time. Just, I beg you, please, right now, just no saying I'm supposed to do this, you tell her why, one next day. Fully get it. Or somebody can talk to me, not the patients, and the energy. Because everybody not have to get that. But it is so important because otherwise, I think, as you rightfully say, I think if, if you don't know, nobody don't want to feel like you're at fault for not knowing. And if you make them feel like they're at fault for not knowing, I mean, I don't know if it's a human response, but the inherent response is for Chopin. And I thought, well, because it doesn't affect me. Like, literally, it does not affect me. So, I don't do it already, so well. Yeah, but I'm already a bad person. So calling me a bad person, not going to change the facts that this don't affect me and we can move on my life without. So I feel like it has to be, as you rightfully said, a love tap. And I know it sounds like coddling sometimes, but I don't, I don't believe that it is that. I believe that it's recognizing that this change-making work requires a kind of spirit and a kind of energy and aura that if you really don't have it, you have to kind of do it, apply yourself in different ways. Do the damn research, do the community-based research that you can do. You only have to ever engage with people who understand and who not go roughly your feathers and trigger you. Because let's let me let me acknowledge that 
These can be triggering conversations. These can be difficult conversations for queer people to have. These can be harmful conversations and mentally draining conversations for queer people to have. And I don't want to downplay the mental impact and strain that it takes for us to do this kind of work, but it often happened. And I don't know if snapping, I never ever, no lie, sometimes it do work, sometimes it do work, but it more often than not, people appreciate feeling like they can come to you and ask you ask a stupid question. Cause they know say, cause so e cause even if you're custom off and never learned at that moment, and this is something I personally had to learn, even if even if them learning at that moment for not say that, they they didn't you didn't teach them why they're not supposed to say that. And I just when you when you explain that why to a person, it I feel like the recall becomes better. Because no it's not no it's not just me following where you're telling me for no, it's me getting where you're coming from and say, okay, bad to bad. We can't get that, even if. And I think it just, it just has to be that. And I feel like the gatekeeping when it comes out to trying to prevent cultural appropriation doesn't always, sometimes it does, but it doesn't always teach the why, yeah? And that's my problem with it. Come and believe in a cultural exchange. I'm a believe a cultural exchange better for all our way. But we're not, we're not taking the time to explain why to people. And a part of it is, and we don't want to acknowledge this, a part of it is, is that we don't even know why. A part of it is that somebody did cuss we until we're not to do it, so we are passed down the cussing. And, because, and so it's just that, it's that cycle of, if somebody cuss me, me cuss you, you cuss somebody else. And so we create these, we create an orthodoxy of doing things, but we never stop to think, why did it offer up now, really? And then when, when, when somebody who now decides, I know I'm not doing it, you need to you, you give me the rationale. All we're going to say is, well, I am queer and I have the experience, so you have to listen to me. No, bitch. I never, I mean, you know, I don't believe identity is authority. So you can't tell me that. You, it, it will be a look a bit as that moment, me prop up look a bit, but that is not enough because I know too much queer people who probably problematic, like myself here. We know too much queer people who have all sorts of problematic views. And so it is not enough for them for just claim them identity in the conversation, right? So I said, that is the reason why I must agree with the opinion. No, Walk us through it. Show us the flow. And if you cannot do that, love people alone. Keep quiet. Fume over the city, your friends, who understand. And make some, and, say, and tap it the next girl who can have the full conversation. Because sometimes that, you know, because, so, for example, my friend reached out to me the other day. Somebody asked if there are hospices in Jamaica for people living with HIV. She do not have the information. I'm a girl, hospice. I say hospice. We don't need that. People don't need that hospice no more. Right, ask me so we go for their dead, right? Treat them dead. And, and I went through this long thing. I, I just passed that information on to the other person because she you now understood why originally they say, ask this. We have to give people that. You have sometimes you have to tap in somebody. And if you, if you don't know who to tap in, that is what I will say. I think all of us who want gatekeep must know who to tap in. And if you cannot tap in, nobody go sit your ass down and make somebody do the, somebody else do the gatekeeping to the community. At the very least, if you are gonna say you don't belong in this space, 
you must can tap in a person who can explain to the people why this is an issue. If you can... that, that point is not a gatekeeper, it's just a security. Go and sit down. Even the security guard know them purpose. I know no security guard know so they must know the policy, but don't know why the policy is the policy. But the policy. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. Remember, remember, the UA, I used to ask security guard why, why this is so or why we can't do this. Like that's just the rule, and I'm like, yeah. Then they said the word. And another time, no follow. We just have follow. We just have follow. We're not internalize and rethink and ask the question. We just have, we just have follow. But I did want to, you know, say we probably reach over the hour. But I know I want. I know M felt a certain way about queer people, cis people populating queer spaces. Oh yes. And I yes. definitely wanted even if I even snippet of that in the conversation. Maybe we have a broader conversation about it in our next podcast. But we just bring it in a little. So you want me? You want me? Tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Like so. Like since since I've since I've been here, um, I've had the experience of um going to queer clubs, um that apparently are not just for queer people. So it's it's very different from the experience that I would have had in Jamaica. So you know, so like even though we have a couple of straight people in our space, it's dominated by queer people, and it's you can almost sure say maybe like a one in, or a, a five in nine, five in six type of scenario, uh, man, we look upon a thug in the party, right? But the clubs I've been to here, like it's overrun with straight men and straight couples, right? Apparently on the hunt for tonight's hookup. So it, it sort of made me uncomfortable finding that out because like, Usually when I'm in a one club, I'm a feel sexy and cute, I'm flirty, I'm a one, you know, press up on one man or two. Like, you don't know who to do that with because they don't know who's straight, they don't know who's just here for being here sake or who's looking for tonight's hookup. And we just never know how to feel about it. Um, so when I initially raised the concern about, you know, being in a queer club and there are so many cis-set persons there and I felt uncomfortable, like it was, it was sort of this idea of whether or not um, our spaces are too open and too welcoming. So we're, we run the risk of losing that kind of exclusivity or that kind of safety that we, we are used to in having a, 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 an exclusive space for queer people. Um, so that, that was really where that, that feeling came from. And that's idea, but I know, like, since then we've, we've spoken about ballroom, we've spoken about all different spaces that you know were never like exclusively queer to begin with. It was just you know promoting inclusion, um, and that's really the game, the aim of the game. I remember even after that, my bit, my sister uh, in Canada, she messaged me one morning after the fridge about um, cis people using pronouns and I was like, girl, what do you mean? Why are you upset that these people are put pronouns in their email signature? And she's like, because they just like, use it and I'm not them. And I'm like, yeah, but that's really the purpose. That's really the, the, the goal of it, right? As trans people, we want people to recognize that you can't look for somebody and tell how they identify. Um, so putting your pronoun in your email signatures or declaring your pronoun at the beginning, at the start of the conversation is where we want the world to go. 
that says that we know say gender identity and something you can see by just looking at somebody. And she understood um, after explaining that to her. But that was, that, that, those are some of the experiences that I've had since being here where it kind of kicked in my mind and say, you know, what are we doing as queer people? Like, where's this going? What's the goal? What's the end game um, of opening up all of these spaces to sit to cis heteronormative people? So that was that was That's really interesting. I mean, everybody have no feelings about a land. I feel like you know you're from Langola, I'm gonna like you're Langola somewhere different thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being I'm being I'm, I'm being a teacher here, calling on the quiet, the quiet, the quiet child. Um, I think I, I, I the, the 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 club experience that you you gave, I think I can understand. Um where you're coming from, um, needing space that are exclusively queer. Um, but I think also um, I enjoy spaces, and I don't know if this is privilege, um, I, I enjoy spaces where they're heterosexual, um, whether men or women there, because at the, as you say, at the end of the day, we're trying to create a society where despite of how you identify your sexual orientation like oh at, at the end of the day we are humans um so i think while i enjoy spaces that are exclusively queer um i, I also push more for spaces that um i can walk in and they're heterosexual people and i don't feel threatened i don't feel unsafe and i think the more that we have these spaces being normalized, so we don't necessarily have to always be carving out or calling for exclusively um, queer spaces. It's just a space where you're accepted despite you being queer or whatever, but still having that space where if you want, be, if you want a true queer space, then you can have that. It's so it's funny because you brought that. I've never really thought about or felt like that when I enter a space like that because one, they usually stick out like a sore thumb to me. Like it, it's very like all right, this the, the guys usually like distant or um, you know sitting in a corner somewhere or something. So I've never really thought about that. But then now that I'm thinking, especially along the lines of like looking for tonight's hookup, I'm like, doesn't that kind of sort of make them queer and therefore? belonging in that space. Not necessarily saying that they identify as queer, but it's like the, I don't know, I guess like the sexual practices is necessarily the heteronormative thing. And I don't well, know. I, that's I He's a straight man. <laughs> looking for looking for the booty. But some, and so, sometimes it's the women who want it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I know them, them white men are freaking love so they're <laughs> but um yeah they were they were just in the thick of things like you can't tell who's who like everybody just mm. one mixed in part and i mean it's 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 a it's a sight to behold seeing straight and queer people just having fun together but like i don't know i guess it's just me wanting to be my usually that is self in the club and not knowing how to navigate the space but well, I hope I learn one day. <laughs> <laughs>
Actually, I have a certain view that goes counter to everything that Mother General said in this summary, right? And this is it. Um, because because my thing is queer people created these created these specific spaces so that we could be so that we could have the very experiences that you're going there for um, among others, which is the kind of experiences that is said people are having their spaces. And while I definitely love a space, um, and we have a few of them in Jamaica where you can go and people know, say, a queer and a queer people there, and they're right beside the sister people, and all of us just like, enjoy ourselves and I carry on, and we're good, right? I love those spaces, and I love them for what they are. However, my challenge is what you are describing seems like cishet people coming into the spaces that are designated for queer people and taking them over, but we can't necessarily go into their spaces and do that. But that's, what, that's what it felt like. That's the problem. So it's one thing, because the spaces in Jamaica that are inclusive aren't queer spaces that end up being inclusive. They're, they're mainstream spaces that allow for queer presence and for queer people to enjoy themselves. Right? That means we are going into a mainstream space and enjoying the mainstream life that we, we should be able to enjoy. But if, if it's a one directional thing where, because of how our spaces are organized, women realize it nice and they can come into the space and not fulfill certain experiences. And then the man them come run back at them to get the woman them. Yeah, yeah, take over space. And then it's now me worrying as a queer person whether or not I can have the kind of fun that I'm supposed to be having in a space that was created for the purpose of allowing me to break out. And I think it's right for us to kind of say, this, it's only okay if all the spaces are like that. In other words, I am here for making general spaces inclusive and all spaces inclusive. But if it is that only our spaces are the inclusive spaces, so kind of taking a broader view of it, I think that's a problem. Because where are our spaces then? If our spaces have to always be made to accommodate people who don't want what we want, who won't, and who will compromise our ability to fully enjoy the space, um, but we can go in a freedom space, go fully enjoy ourselves either way, then what do we have left, right? And I think it's a very fair concern to have. I, for me, the bet you, in a good in a in an ideal world you need to have both you need to have the mainstream spaces that allow for queer inclusion and you might have a space that is just for cishet people i have a problem with that if the cishet people have only one their own themselves fine if i just own one bubble tonight fine and nature and my little undisturbed pocket right and then we'll have a set of spaces in that middle where everybody can enjoy themselves in that right so if we can have those three sets of spaces running together, because I believe in plurality more than neutrality, right? If we can have those three spaces running together, then that's fine. But if it's only ever the queer people being, being kind of colonized, that's a problem. Because when will I get a bubble? Always not ask important question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not that I just it. When will I get a bubble? But yeah, so I think so. I think so. If if them are coming your space, you go for them space and bubble and go on and see what the reaction is. And if if not, then you can keep them out. I said, go on at a club day. 
because the girls don't know what to do. But I guess if I you wanna have a problem and the other people them there is quite fine, then maybe I had a problem you know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe you could just start having some soirees at your yard. You know, no. You can still quite my love now come at the people in place come raise no hell, my love. Ah, but no, no you're thinking that. <laughs> I come out of my face. But anyways, people, thank you so much for listening. When all over the time, look about the, the conversation being buzzy. You know, it's nice when all four were there, you know. Were there like Team Avatar, Fire, Water, Earth, and Air. Big up yourself, pushu, pushu, pushu. Um, so thank you, thank you so much for staying with us and for continuing with continuing with us throughout all this time. Um, if you want to give us any feedback, you know where to find us. It's at Fish Tea Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. Or you can otherwise email us at fishteapodcast at gmail.com. You know, you can give us your feedback, your comments, um, like, rate, subscribe, you know, give us feedback on the actual podcast platform that you're listening on, right? We usually give them a pandemic spiel, but at this point, if Udna no say, Udna must wipe it down before I put it down the mouth. I don't know where, I, I don't know, I don't know. So I know, I know even got through Alec, but you know what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to say argument done, but you know what I'm supposed to do, right? So please, I beg you, know, do it. So big up yourselves. And as I always say, stay sophisticated. Bye. 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 <laughs>